This morning we're going to talk about getting the vision, though uh, I think what I entitled, we, we always have to get our material into the, those who uh, type it all up and reproduce and stuff like that, and I thought I put getting 2020 vision, since it's 2020, okay, or 2020. So we want to see clearly t- today, and not only today, but for the rest of our time, whether we're local or whether we're uh, at another place where we are residents, uh, we want to see what God has for us. So let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Well, I pray in the time that we had that you might just help us glean the truths you want us from your word and see the application for our, our lives. Help us to uh, help me particularly to make it clear and not confusing. And, and might we just be more motivated to be what you want us to be uh, by our time together. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many times, uh, this is kind of open confession before I preach, is that uh, after I preach, uh, whether it's the first service or second service, I'm always thinking, did I keep the things in there I should have kept and leave the things out I should have left or I should have kept the things I left out and put them in. So uh, I'm going to change a little bit than how I shared it in the morning. Um, but hopefully this will really uh, speak into our hearts. But what I'd like you to do is turn uh, and find a Bible and, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A lot of times on Vision Sunday, I'll just make it totally, pra- uh, not practical, totally um, cross-references, a lot of uh, multiple verses, and we have some multiple verses this morning. But I want to take out of a primary text uh, that speaks to what the church ought to be and be all about. Sometimes you might be in circles where people will evaluate a church or the church, and they're saying, I wish we could go back and be a New Testament church. And I, I think that's a good desire, but I hope you understand that if you go back to be a, uh, a, a New Testament church, you're not going to join a perfect church. Because if you read the letters of Paul to those churches, most of the time he's writing to correct what? problems they're going through, right? Some things they're not quite doing or being. And if you were to take one church that probably had as many challenges in life as any, it would be the church of Corinth. And we have two letters, two long letters written to them, both of them written toward the end of Paul's ministry. As Paul writes, and he is he has Corinthians, really, if you take it from the literal language, it's Corinthians Alpha and Corinthians Beta, Corinthians 1 and Corinthians 2 where he speaks into their lives, and they don't quite get it the first time, sends another letter out that's probably lost. Then he sends a third letter out. And of all these letters, particularly the the second one, which we're going to look at today, uh, Corinthians Beta, the second letter that's recorded for us, it's an extremely personal letter. Where where Paul sometimes, if you look at the book of Romans, it's really you get a glimpse into the, the mind of the Apostle Paul. Here you get into the heart of the Apostle Paul. And here you have Paul really kind of bearing his soul and what he is struggling with is he's working with people he desperately loves, but he's not sure they're quite getting it or seeing clearly. And sometimes we use the word seeing, we'll mix our metaphors. If you ever said this or had someone say to you, are you seeing what I'm telling you? Well, you know, you can't see what someone tells you unless it's on the screen. If it's a verbal, you got to hear it. But when people say things to you or to me or to whomever, they, they want us to understand it so clear that we can kind of visualize it, right? And so Paul is writing uh, this letter to a church in Corinth that he has spent a lot of time with and has written a lot of words to, but he's, he's not quite sure they're seeing it or seeing the vision he has for them or seeing 2020. Now, if you uh, have had the experience of using corrected lenses on your face, we call those what? Glasses, I'm just making sure you're listening to me. Okay, if you, you know, you realize that you see better when you got glasses on. And then if you were um, 
vain, you could say, because you know, or whether you're playing sports or like that. You know, I, I wanted to go to contacts, so as soon as I could, I went to contacts. And, and then uh, you're you're tired of putting those little things in your eye eyes, so you you look for another solution, and you have what surgery. And sometimes with surgery, they'll correct it where you don't have to have any at least physical correction in your eyes. But the, there's one goal: whether you're putting on glasses, putting on contacts, or having surgery, you want to be able to see clearly. But you know, the older you get, and I guess we're in that crowd, I guess most of us could say we're getting older. Anybody want to say they're not getting older? Is that what happens? Oh, a little bit in the back there. All right, we're going we're gonna to tell stories about, no, okay. Is that um, what happens is that you have to sometimes decide, well, where do I want to see clearly? Do I want to see clearly clear up front uh, or, or, in, in, or in the distance? Or do I want to see clearly what? Really, really close. In fact, they call it either far-sighted or nearsighted. And then there are ways now where they try to trick your eyes and they give you monovision. Out of one eye, you see distance and another eye, you see a close up. But even with correction, sometimes it, it's, it's, not, it's not working perfectly. I've had LASIK surgery and it went perfectly for about 15 years. And all of a sudden I was saying, hey, I thought I was supposed to be able to read, you know, and I couldn't quite figure that out. Well, they, they did a little bit of surgery again on my eye and I was really pleased, except now there was a, a medium. I, I found out that not only do you need to see the big picture and something really close details, but how about that computer screen? I kept going like this with the computer screen. Now, where, where, where does my sight fit in? And it was always a desire that I might see what I wanted to see. Now, hopefully with that long illustration, we realize that, that it, that's what God wants to do with us. He, he wants us to see clearly. He wants to see the big picture. What, what, what's, what's, the, what's the end goal? What's the end result in mind? But he also wants to see the details. Well, how are we going to get there? And isn't that both important? We need to see where we're headed, but we need to know how we get there. And here's where, if I'm not careful, I spend all my time in the introduction and we don't get to what I want to talk about in the text. So I'm going to go to the text, and if we have time, I'll try to apply that directly where we're at. But Paul is saying that to the church in Corinth, and they're struggling because they're not even really sure they want to listen to Paul because you have people in that church who are saying, don't listen to Paul. What does he have to say? And so um, I want to read a section. I'm not going to really comment a whole lot about it. And then I'm going to get to the main text, which we're going to speak some simple truths for each one of us. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 11, and Paul's writing to them. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your, in your consciousness. He's not there, so I say, I hope you're, hope you're seeing who we really are. We're making, we're making ourselves manifest to you. Then he goes on, verse 12, and he says, We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. And again, he's just using some language here, pouring out his heart. He said, look, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm not trying to make you think higher of me because I speak highly of myself. I want you to understand what really is authentic and who you ought to be proud of rather than people who are trying to make you proud of them by how they look. They says in verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. And whenever you read the Bible, there's so much in here you want to say, I, I want to make sure you get this. When he says, uh, if we are besides ourselves, it is for you. That's in the New American Standard. I don't know what some of your translations say, but if we are insane, if we're acting a little crazy, we're acting crazy for you. And you're thinking, why would he say that? And why would he think he's acting like that? Because 
when you really look at the message the church has, it's all about God, it's all about people. For some people, they say, this message of the church is crazy, right? You're talking about some man 2,000 years ago died and he was put on a cross. And there were a lot of people who, who were men who died on a cross and put in a grave. But you're saying he rose from the dead and that act of resurrection proves who he is and that he can radically change anyone's lives and that's our pathway to get to heaven. That sounds what? Help me out here. That sounds crazy, right? Well, that's what Paul is saying here. I'm beside myself. You know what this same word is used of Jesus? They thought Jesus was crazy. In fact, his family did. They came to kind of get him out of that place. He's going crazy. Oh, he wasn't going crazy, but the message was so unbelievable, they had a hard time believing that it was actually true. And that's why I've said to you before many times, Jesus has said, truly, truly, I say to you, because of what I'm about to say, you know, unless it is true, it is just crazy. But then he goes on, he says, verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. I'm not doing because I'm crazy. There's something compelling me. And that's what I'm experiencing in my relationship with God, in relation with Christ. Having concluded this, that one died for all, and who's that? Good, you're working with me on this text. Jesus died so that, um, so that all died. And who's, who's that? That's us, right? Jesus died, and because Jesus died, all of us died. Now you go, wait a minute, I'm, I'm still breathing right now. I might, I, might be, I might be struggling, but I'm still breathing, so I'm still here. What is he saying? He's, saying, he's not saying we've all died physically, but we've all died spiritually. That's what baptism illustrates. And we had some baptisms, in, you know, like I mentioned, not, not only here, but also in Israel. And, and when you push someone, push on someone or lay someone down underneath the water, if you keep them for any length of time beyond that which is normal, they're going to what? They're going to die. And what happens when we become children of God is our old self, our old life is now dead in Christ. And that's what it means to be a Christian. I'm not under my, my own and only my own resources. I'm not letting myself rule my life. I want the Savior to rule my life. I have a new life. And then he says, And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So if we see clearly, and this is just a running ramp into the text we're going to look at. He said, look, if you want to summarize what the church ought to be all, all about... If you, if you want to summarize what individual Christians ought to be all about, we shouldn't be about ourself, but about our, begins with the letter S, our Savior, right? And he died for all that they who live shall no longer live for themselves selfishly, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That's what a Christian is. I'm not living for self. I'm living for the Savior, okay? And so that, that scene the message of the New Testament, the message of Jesus, what Christianity is all about. We've changed ownership. I'm, I'm not in charge. God's in charge. I, I'm not living just for myself. I'm living for the Savior. And why? Because look what he's done for me. He died for me. He died in my place. All right. So that's the running um, look at this. And, and so God wants us to see the big picture as well as the details. He wants to see the big picture. The big picture is... We are called into relationship with God individually and corporately to be people who don't live for self, but for the Savior. And by the way, this is just for free. I got fascinated. I spent quite a, bit, a whole afternoon looking at it. You know when he says, uh, for you have, um, 
uh, when he's, he's talking about, like in verse 13, for if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we are of mind, it is for you. He wasn't talking about individual people. He was talking about the whole group of people. You know, if, if, we're, if we're from um, the South and we're talking to a group of people, we use the word you, but you say you, you all. You guys are really a sharp group this morning, all right? And often when you read the Bible, you need to realize, see, often when we use the word you, we're, looking at, we're thinking about individuals. You know, you need to do this, you need to do this. No, it's you all need to do this. And so this is a message for you all, which includes me. And so Paul puts this on the ramp and saying, okay, let, let, let's get down to see, seeing clearly as he's writing to them from a distance what you as a church who are struggling need to be all about. And it begins by seeing three things. And this is, this is, the, this is the message this morning. If we see clearly, collectively, and each one of us within that individually as well, we need to see who you are in Christ See who, see what you do in Christ and see why you do it in Christ, all right? So we want to see uh, who we are or you are, see what you do and why you do it. Because pretty soon, uh, take the last one, if, if, if you forget why you do what you do, you're going to stop what? Doing it, right? You know, if, if you don't think vegetable, if you don't like vegetables, you don't think they're, they're good for you, you're going to what? You're going to start, stop eating vegetables, right? And so he, he speaks in a life in terms of, I want you to remember who you are. I want you to remember what, who, what you're supposed to do and, and then why you're supposed to do it. Let's look at it. Verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And we'll just stop there, and then we'll get to the main text I want to look at for the first point. Yeah, Paul is saying, look at it. I'm talking about seeing things differently than you've ever seen before. And see, I want you to look back at your journey to connect with God. Now, in your journey to connect with God, even if you did it as a young person or later on in life, eventually someone or something happened what you heard about Jesus, right? And when you first heard about Jesus, you thought about Jesus like you think of anybody in history, Right? Is this a significant one to know about? And if it's a significant one to know about, is there anything I can learn from him or about them as I go through this self-discovery about Jesus? And, and Paul is saying, look, that's how I looked at Jesus. I, I look at Jesus as just some human being. In fact, I didn't think he was a good human being because I, I, I took him as a heretic. He was a Jewish rabbi, like a lot of Jewish rabbis, but what he taught was not the truth. And so, in fact, I saw him as a blasphemer. He was one who spoke evil of God. And, and we know Paul's history, or most of us probably do, he, he was a persecutor of, of Christians, people who were followers of the way. He wanted to do everything he could to, to eliminate people following this, this man named Jesus because he saw him only as a man. But so he said, then, then, let, let's look at it. Um, he, he said, re- repeating his words, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. In other words, we used to see Jesus like any other fleshly person. He's, he's a soul with skin on. But then we discovered, no, he uniquely is not just like any other human being. He's the God become man. Now, this is either crazy or it is true, Right? And he said, look, I've come to that conviction. I, I was B.C. before Christ, and then I became a 
you know, AC after Christ because I saw Jesus differently than I saw him before. And this is why it's so important to see things clearly, right? And so he saw the big picture in who Jesus is. He wasn't just a religious teacher. He wasn't just a, a person who, whether by sleight of hand or whatever, looked like he had done some miraculous things. He was the God become man. That's the big picture. If you don't get that, it doesn't matter what you think about Jesus, right? Or what he did, because you've got to see the big picture. And they said, well, what happens when you really see him that way? And seeing here is not just intellectual, but seeing to the point you get it, right? Are you seeing what I'm saying? I don't mean you're just hearing it or, you know, you can comprehend it. But are you seeing it, that it's, it's, it's the radical truth you need to embrace or it's the how-to you need to, to follow? Therefore, and the therefore is what was there before, therefore, seeing Christ clearly If anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creature, creation, depending upon your translation. Mine says creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Okay, so seeing the vision is, and it never really changes. You know, the the how-to is what we do by way of programs. And what we want to do is not only programs, but pathways into following after Jesus. But it's all about recognizing that, that who we are and who we're trying to help other people become. We want people to be new people, right? New persons, new creatures. Now, again, you need to look at creatures. You're not saying that you now become, you know, not human, obviously. He's not saying you become a Marvel comic character. He's saying that which looks the same on the outside is totally different on the what? On the inside, right? Right? And in fact, he says, I want you to understand that. What does it mean to be totally different on the inside? You are now in Christ. So, simply point. This is what I'm trying to share this morning, hopefully clearly, is we, we need, as God's people, to see who we are or who you are, who you all are, if you have embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are a new person. You are now in Christ. When a person is particularly selfish, we might say they're really into themselves, right? Now, what we want to say about them, about have people say about us or even hopefully say about ourselves, I'm really into Christ. Whatever Christ wants for me, I want to be into that and be involved with that. I want to be following him in such a way that people, oh, I know what you're into, you know, you're not just into golf like Jeff here. We've got to pray for Jeff. He's way too much into golf. No, you know, you know, you, know, you, can, be involved, you can enjoy all kinds of things in life, but you say, I, I want to be known as a person who's really into Christ, right? And that's what he said. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new person. And he said, and by the way, the old things, that which you used to be enamored with and only that, that's past. And behold, new things have come. But is there anything else we need to realize about who we are. The Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who are you? You are a person in which the holy God is not condemning you anymore. Now, for, for some people, that, that's an amazing thing. They, they might say, well, how, how can you know that? I, I'm not perfect. I still mess up. How can you say that God is not going to condemn me? Because he's condemned his son on your behalf. So when we think about God, we, we can disappoint God at time, but we're not going to be condemned by him. There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. 
You know what Romans 16.3 talks about? This is Paul talking about Prisca and Aquila. He says, oh, you know, you know who you are? You are my fellow workers in Christ. And that's a good thing to think about every year as you look back and then you look forward to, well, what am I? I'm not only in Christ. I'm not only a new person. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm now not only a person under no condemnation before God. I'm now a worker in Christ. In fact, a fellow worker. In other words, I don't just work alone for Christ. I do with other, uh, other, other people who are a part of God's family. And that's what the church is. The church is, is more than an institution. It's more than a location on a particular plot of land. It, it is a, a fellowship. It is a, a body. It's a family. But it's a, it's a workplace. And, and not only when we're here, but when we leave here, we, we are working for God. In fact, actually, it's God working in us to do his work. We don't do it on our own efforts. And if we're not doing that work that he has called us to do, then we're, we're, not, we're not into what God wants us to see clearly to, to be all about. We are his fellow workers. Does that make sense? That's our identity now. In Galatians 3.28 says, uh, oh, by the way, there's, there's no such thing as a, a Jew or a Gentile or, or a male or a female or... Um, or slave person or free man, we're all one in Christ. So, so who we are, we are people who, who look at people differently. We don't, we don't look at the color of their skin. We, we don't look at what they do so much for a living, I mean, other than maybe for interest sake. We, we, we don't really look at a person, well, where did they come from or where they're going? We don't, we don't care as much about what other people always care about. We don't care what their political perspective is. We might have our own strong views, but we see them as people <clears throat> whom Christ died for. And that's what's really important. And if you look at the disciples of Jesus, Jesus had both Ameri- uh, Republicans and Democrats on that, in that 12. You know, did, you, did you realize that? They had tax collectors. He had a tax collector and a zealot. They were about as far removed from each other politically. Right? Now, Oh, I, don't, I think we ought to be able to discuss politics with people and, and not get upset, whatever like that. But if you can't talk politics without getting upset with people, then don't what? Don't talk politics. In fact, I want to say this to you, though I, I hate to say this because most of the time I'm pushing people to talk about Jesus. But if you can't talk about Jesus without getting an argument, don't talk about Jesus. All right? We, we ought to be able to talk about religion and politics, which are called, you know, you, you that's two things you're not supposed to talk We ought to be able to talk about those things in a sensible way, right? And, and Jesus did that, with, and he had to do that with his own closest companions. If you have the truth, share the truth in love and try to point people to the right direction. And there's no more important person to point to is, than Jesus, right? Because he is the truth. So we're all one in Christ. It doesn't matter where we are in the social strata or, or what's distinct about us. And, of course, we need to realize that we're saints. Paul's he wrote to all the churches. So I'm writing to the saints in Colossae or Philippi or Ephesus. And so when you look at yourself, don't look at yourself primarily as a sinner. You've been freed from your sin. You've been, you, the penalty of your sin is now dealt with. Now, when you mess up, you need to confess it, fess up, but move on. We are, we, are, we are God's choices vestals to be used of him. So unless you recognize who you are and whose you are, you're not going to see clearly what God wants to do in your life. Would you agree with that? All right. Well, let's see what you are to do, what I'm to do. Okay, look at the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So after he tells us the great truth, you are new creatures, 
uh, new things have come, old things have passed. He says this in verse 18. Now, all these things are from God. Well, that's kind of a, a great statement. Who? Because, you know, why do you have to say that? Because for some of them, they were looking at Paul and said, you're crazy, Paul. <laughs> I mean, there's something wrong with you. We, we think you got some loose screws up there. And if, if, if you don't have loose screws, I think you've got bad motives because, quite frankly, people are, are criticizing you all the time, and we're not sure whether we, we ought to follow you. I, I was, there's all kinds of descriptions of what people think Paul was like. Uh, some claim, I, I found one author put it this way, uh, people thought Paul was fickle, proud, unimpressive in appearance and speech. He had a tendency to speak way too fast. He was sarcastic. He was unqualified. Kind of a lot like your pastor right now. Okay, you know, you know, <laughs> and, you know they were saying there's so many things about Paul we don't like. Why should we listen to him? And, and so, so he goes, look it, we're all new creatures in Christ. It's not about me, it's about him. And then he says, now, because this is true, this is from God now, this is not just some crazy man talking to you. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. So, we know who we are in Christ. We're a new creature. We're under no condemnation. We're part of God's workforce. Well, what are you supposed to do? Well, let me get very specific. You have a ministry of reconciliation. He goes on, just reading the rest of that text there. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Um, and I, I, would just, I would just say, we, we need to recognize here, I'm, this is just for free, didn't say in the first service. Sometimes we think that we can help people get reconciled to God just with our lives. Well, he said that here it's the, it's the ministry of the word of reconciliation. We, we need to speak up for God as well, okay? It's a verbal witness as well as a nonverbal witness. Well, that's a different message, so we'll just go on. But, but what is he saying here? What are we to do? We are to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? When you reconcile two people are at odds, you, have t- you take people who are, in a sense, whether it's Physically, but at least it's relationally. They're, they're at odds. They're, they're enemies. They, they can't connect together. They're at war rather than be at peace. And, and he's saying that this, that when you are, and Jesus had something about to say about that. Didn't he say, he said, blessed are the what kind of makers? The peacemakers. Okay, that's, that's a person who comes alongside and he doesn't, he doesn't or she doesn't make it worse. They try, they try to make it better. They take people, two people can't talk to each other and say, let's, let's see if we can get you talking with each other. Well, God's done, Jesus done all the heavy lifting, all right? He, he's dealt with that which separates us from God. But now people have to believe it. They need to hear about it. They need to understand it. And I'm giving you that ministry, that service to say, how can you be a peacemaker, take those who are far from each other and bring them together? And, and our sin gets us far from God. And so that, that's what we need to do. And as we think about how we do it at Grace Hills Church, uh, we, we talk about oikos. Oikos is that Greek word for household and it extended relationships. And each one of us is given the ministry of the people that we know, that, that, that know us, we're praying for them regularly, and we're looking for opportunities to speak to them about Jesus, and we're looking for opportunities to invite them to be 
with God's people and to, to see how Christians, you know, live. And so they can kind of, they kind of see, is this something I can, I can believe in? I, I give them things to read. I, I, I take them places. And I just share my story with them. And what are you saying? If you're seeing clearly, you're seeing clearly who you are, but who you are is to be a person who is imparting what you know to somebody else. And when we think we don't know enough, all we need to do is tell what we do know. And all we need to do is once I was blind, but now I see. And we tell them that, that Jesus has made a difference in our life. And he's given us that ministry. And it all begins by praying, praying for people in your local relational world that don't know Jesus. And then looking for opportunities to speak to them. That, that's, that's why he has made you a new person. So that you can help other people become new persons, right? The ministry of reconciliation. It's interesting, Ezekiel chapter, Ezekiel chapter 34, it's interesting, God is speaking. He said, I am taking people far from God, broken by the world in their own sin, and I'm rescuing them. And we get to participate with God in that. And Isaiah 59 says, you know, I want you to understand the reason this needs to happen because your sin is at that place I cannot even be near you or hear from you. And so how, how do people get, get well is by going to the great physician, which is Jesus. But he also said, not only do you have the ministry of reconciliation, in case you don't get that word image, he says you're also ambassadors. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So I want you to understand, you are an ambassador. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a person who represents someone or something. We send ambassadors from America to other countries so that, that we can hopefully represent our country well and develop healthy relationships with those who are in other parts of the world. And hopefully they come to that place where they respect us and, and believe in us. Well, even more so, that's what we as God's people are to do. We are to represent Christ well so that when people are wrestling with believing in Jesus, they say, well, I can believe in Jesus because I've looked at people who are Jesus followers and I've learned to believe in them, right? Not that they are perfect, but because their life, when uh, I look at it, they have something I don't have. And because they're ambassador representing their Savior, their Jesus well, it makes me consider that maybe I want to believe like they believe. Does that make sense? And so as we think about seeing clearly what the church, our church, and any church ought to be, we ought, we ought to see who we are or who you are. You are a new person, Christ. You need to see what you do, what we do. We, we help people get at peace with God. We help people see Jesus in us, and, and then they want to know our Jesus. We're reconcilers. We're ambassadors. But we all at times get unmotivated, right? You ever get unmotivated? I think we get unmotivated all the time. But last verse here, he says this. He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's a verse we often quote at communion. But it's, it's, really, it's really summarizing what happens at the gospel when you put your faith and trust in the one who it's all about. He made him who knew no sin. Jesus was guiltless because he had not done anything that was guilty. But what, it, what, what, what happened to us in this grand, grand transaction that happens at faith is, is God came 
and took on all that which separates us from God. Every evil thought, every evil intention, every evil action, every, everything that destroys our life or destroys lives around us, everything that's self-centered rather than other-centered, everything that, that destroys lives and hurts other people. Say, I, I've taken everything you've ever done that keeps you from a living relationship with God, and I've placed it on Jesus. Theologians talk, talk about imputing our sin on Jesus. He took everything that was wrong about us and put it on him. But then the other part of the transaction, he didn't just, when we become a child of God, we don't just get a big eraser dealing with the sin in our life. Now we have this vacuum in our life. Then he gives us his righteousness. So then when God looks at us, he, he sees Jesus. Everything right that Jesus did is put on our account. And that's crazy unless it's what? Unless it's true. And so when we think about it, I want to always remember who I am. I'm a child of God who's a new person. Who There's nothing that is condemning from God for me because he's, he's satisfied that all on the cross. He's given me a work to do to reach out to people in my relational world and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. And that really honors God. He wants me to be a person to do this because look at all that he's done for me. I think I put it this way in your outline. You have had your sin transferred to Christ and Christ's righteousness has been transferred to you. And really what's happened is you've had a spiritual blood transfusion. Some, some of you have had that or you know of people have had that they were so sick. You know, every, the only hope for that person was to, to get every natural blood out of their system and get healthy blood put back in. And see, that's what happens when we receive Christ. And everyone who's, who's gone through that and now regained health, they, they are so amazed and thankful for that process now being available to people who get deathly sick. Well, that's true on a physical sense. How much more so is it on a spiritual sense? Because we're not talking about just life and death. We're talking about eternity. And so we have, we have all reasons to be motivated because the God who created us, he created us to be loved by him, that we would love him, that we would be like him, that we would learn from him, we would lean upon him because we're lost without him. He's given us a marching command to, to honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. There's a pathway to that at Grace Hills Church. We, we call it the wisdom approach. The, there's an owl back here, and you wonder, what, why did he put up there? Well, well I was going to spend more time on that object lesson, but then we wouldn't get through the message. So, you know, it, it, it's really the owls is oikos, reach out to people in your relational world. It's living a life of worship when we gather together corporately, but every day God wants us to honor him. Would you agree with that? It's a seven-day-a-week experience. He wants us to do life together, and that's why we emphasize people getting in life groups. We get a small group where you're praying for uh, other people, and they're praying for you, and you're studying God's Word together. And if you don't need it, maybe people need you to be there because you can help them even more than they can help you. But do life together. And, and every one of us has a part to play, and that's why we ought to be servants. We ought to be serving in ways that, that we have a role for God uh, in His church to, to bless others. And so this morning, what I, I guess I want to challenge all of us, are, are we seeing clearly? Are we seeing clearly what God so plainly has, has told us to see? See who you are in Christ. See what you're to do in Christ. 
and see why you are to do it in Christ for his glory and his honor. Let's pray together. Father, I would pray that uh, as we think about Paul writing to a church that was struggling, that, that um, had heard it before but wasn't, weren't living it out, that we might recognize that's really true for all of us. It's nothing necessarily new under the sun, but it is, it is stated in various ways so we might get it, that we might never forget who we are, forget what we are to do, and always remember why we are to do it. Help us to do that, not for our own glory, but for your glory, for your honor, because this is what it's all about, helping people see Jesus clearly and come to know him in a full and deep way. Help us that, that to be what our church is about, not only uh, for things that have been done well in the past as we look forward to the future, that we might see your vision for us with 2020 vision, seeing it clear, the big picture and, and also the details, knowing what to do and how to do it and why to do it. And we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.